We're in the middle of a series called Christianity Light. And uh, when, we, when we talk about Christianity Light, it means that something has been altered. Something has been taken out. Uh, some ingredient has been tampered with. And, you know, we know there are all kinds of food and beverages that have a light version where they have put different chemicals in that probably are more harmful to you than the original. And that's true for the church too. Christianity light can appear as if it's good, as if it's religious. It can even appear as if it's powerful. But when you leave some ingredients out and replace them with other things as they do with food and beverages, then in the end you end up with something harmful. And we've talked about different areas in this series. We talked about being saved without power. What good is it for you and I to come to a church if there's no power to break the stranglehold of sin in our lives, we walk back out of church with the same malignant sin tumor that we had when we came in. We talked about being saved without prayer. You can't be a biblical Christian without talking to Jesus. We, we talked about being saved without cost, that if we're going to follow Jesus, then we must take up our cross daily. And that the truth is that's hard to do. If we're, if we're going to follow Jesus... We learned that it's going to cost us everything. And then last week we talked about being saved without offense. You, you and I are going to be offended. It doesn't matter who you are. It, 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 the fact is you have been offended. Uh, you, you may be offended right now. And if not, you may be offended before you leave today. I don't know. But, uh, but, but we, ha- we have the ability when that happens to either pick up the trap of offense and imprison ourselves or we learn that we can learn to forgive. So we've been dealing with the ingredients that have been taken out of the church so often, ingredients that are powerful that you and I need to be able to change the world, to be able to affect the people's lives around us, to be able to become everything God wants us to to be and to fulfill the destiny that God has planned for our lives. And I don't know about you, but I need everything God has for me. Amen? I want all of it. I need all of it. And so today we're going to deal with another aspect of Christianity Light. We're going to finish up next week. Next week, uh, you don't want to miss it. I believe it's going to be a very powerful and encouraging service. But today we're going to be talking about being saved without service. Now that that may not sound very exciting, but, but wait till you hear the message as we get into the scripture. Because I'm going to tell you today what Jesus thinks. It doesn't matter what religion thinks. It doesn't matter what some church thinks. It doesn't, or what they say. It doesn't matter what I think. I'm interested in what Jesus says. Amen? Amen. Is, is there anybody else who wants to hear what Jesus says about this? Amen? So I'm going to talk about the area of service and servanthood. And, th- and, and this is an area that's not often talked about in churches anymore. Many, many people come to church and they sit and they soak and they sour. There's an old saying, I don't know if you've heard it before, but it says that sitting Christians hatch hypocrites. And that's a great, a great picture for us. So we're going to ask the question today, is it okay to just go to church and do nothing? And I'm, I'm not going to tell you what I think. Let's just look into scripture and find out what we need to do. So let's pray together. Father, in the name of, name of Jesus, I pray that you would anoint us, not just me to speak, but Lord, anoint our ears to hear what you're saying to us and help us to understand one of the most powerful truths that you spoke And I pray, God, that you'll help us today to become everything you want us to become. Not what we want to become, but what you want for us to become. And God, I pray you would just get Pastor Dave out of the way. Lord, just take over, say what you want to say, do what you want to do. In the strong name of Jesus, we ask it. 
And everybody said, amen. 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 You guys seem awake today. That's good. The more amens you say, the faster I preach and the quicker we get done. I knew I'd get an amen on that one. I knew it. I just knew it. A bunch of wise guys. And now I'm going to preach with one hand behind my back, which means it'll take me twice as long. No, I'm just kidding. Before we actually start the message, I need to give you uh, this passage of Scripture. It's in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, and this is what it says. It starts off by saying, you must. Somebody shout, you must. must. That's not a suggestion, is it? That's a command. When you tell your child, you must pick up your clothes and put them in the hamper, it's not just a suggestion, is it? You're giving them a command. You're telling them what they must do. We, We understand that. So, when, when you see you must, we need to understand that there's, that's not a suggestion, that's a command. He says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same mindset. You must have the same spirit. You must have the, do the same things that Jesus did. Because if you have the mind and the heart of Christ, then you will do what Christ did. So, so if we're going to become the Christians that we all say we want to be, then that means that when I get saved, there's a transformation. We understand that. What happens is not only does our thinking change, but what we do changes and what, and we don't do the things that we used to do in our past. So it says in verse six, speaking of the mind of Christ, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, excuse me, and died a criminal's death on the cross. He gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave. He wasn't forced. He positioned himself intentionally in the humble position of a slave. I mean, here he is worshiped in heaven, angels singing, holy, holy, holy. Angels are singing and they're praising him and he comes to this earth. But when he comes to this earth, he comes as a slave. Think about how powerful this is. He humbled himself in obedience to God. That's what it says. So humility is connected to obedience. Your obedience to God is directly correlated with your humility, humility before him. That's such a powerful truth for us to get. Your obedience to God is directly correlated with your humility before him. And I'm talking about the the mind of Christ. I'm talking about the attitude that Jesus had and he wants us to have. All All of this is dealing with humbling ourselves and serving. Jesus lowered himself and became a servant, even to the point of dying a criminal's death. And we know in Scripture, Satan stepped up and tried to advance himself, but God demoted him. We know that Jesus stepped down and God exalted him. So we say in the kingdom of God, the way up is to go down. You have to humble yourself so so that God can lift you up. I have to have his mind. I have to have his thoughts. If, and if we have the mind of Christ, guess what, what we would have? We would have unity. We would have no more hate. We would have no more selfishness. We would have no more division in the church. There'd be no more church splits. There would be no more arguments over petty things. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. Christ did not hate. Christ loved everybody. Jesus wasn't out looking for revenge when somebody did him wrong. Jesus was willing to love those that spitefully used him. So you and I 
have a new mindset when we begin to follow Jesus. The, the Bible doesn't just suggest that we should have Christ's mindset. The Bible says we must have it. So now let's get into what we're going to talk about today. It's, we're going, we, we, to set it up, I want to talk about Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was probably the day that Jesus was most celebrated when he walked the face of this earth. He rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey and the people were praising and shouting out his name and saying Hosanna in the highest and throwing palm trees down. And they thought he was going to come and be their king and deliver them from the Roman Empire. And, and he was, it was a very, very high point in his ministry. But then after Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, he went into the temple and it's there that he overthrows the, the tables of the money changers. And then he, he went into the temple after that and he taught about the kingdom of God. Well, sometime during this time period, Judas went in and conspired to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And after all of that, all of this takes place, his disciples participated in the Passover meal, what we know as the Last Supper. The Last Supper takes place the day before Jesus was going to the cross. Jesus was going to be hanging on a cross in less than 24 hours. And that's amazing when we read what happened on that day. What he does at this moment provides some of the most important teaching he ever gave because of the timing of it. Knowing that this is the last 24 hours on earth that he has, this is the message he chose to convey to his disciples. Before I get going, though, I just want to say this. We're talking about serving, and I have found that the happiest people I know are people that serve. The people that grumble in church and, and stuff, they're, they're, they're usually the ones that are not helping anybody, not doing anything. If you're helping people, you are fulfilled and you're happy to serve. And if, and if you want to find out who our servants are here at Restoration Life Church, then you need to come early to church way before church and you need to stay late after church because you'll see people picking up paper and, and picking up trash around the church. You'll see people getting Sunday school classrooms ready. You'll see them turning on air conditioning so you'll be comfortable. You'll see them getting things ready for junior church. You'll see them, you'll see the worship team here that comes in two hours early to practice these songs and get a flow of, uh, to be able to lead you into the presence of, of God. Somebody has to take care of the sound system and the microphones. Somebody has to get all the computer visuals ready for the service. Somebody has to take care of the live stream. Somebody has to make sure the building is locked up when we're all done. On those Sundays when we have a potluck, somebody has to, has to set up beforehand and has to clean up afterwards. On Wednesday night, listen, we have two of the greatest servants in this church that nobody ever, ever even thinks about and hardly ever recognizes. But you have Ernest and Lisa Bearden that prepares a meal every week. Wednesday night for a group of people just to take the load off of families. If you want to know who our servants are, just come early and stay late and you'll see who they are. And you'll find that they're some of the happiest people you'll ever want to know. People who serve are happy people. So let's get going. I'm going to give you five scriptures and then I'm going to give you seven areas that I'm going to explain to you. And I know that sounds scary. You're like seven areas. We're going to go quickly. I promise. This is what it says. We're going to be in John 13, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come. There's number one. I'll explain it in a moment. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now, here's number two, he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Jesus, son of Simon Iscariot, 
to betray Jesus. Betray, that's number three. Jesus knew, that's number four, that, that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had, had come from God and would return to God, five. So he got up from the table, six, and I'll explain what that means, took off his robe, wrapped a, a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. That's, that's number seven, drying them with the towel that he had around them. In these five verses, there's seven, uh, seven areas dealing with servanthood. Here's number one, and as I said, I'm going to go kind of quickly, so just try to listen fast while I talk fast. The Bible says that Jesus knew that his hour had come. The Bible says that we are to have the mind of Christ. I need to think like Jesus. I need to have his attitude. I need to know what he did. I need to know how he responded to things. I need to know all of this because it helps me become like him. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, then I need some information about how he lived and what he did. And here we know that Jesus knew his hour had come. He knew he was going to die, willingly lay his life down. He was going to go on the cross. He was, he was going to go through this. Here's what it said. Before the celebrate Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He knew that it was time for him to die. Now, if he says that you're going to have to identify with, with me, then guess what? That means you're going to have to die. Now, you remember, you may remember a few weeks ago, the very first week of this series, I believe, when, when I said Jesus didn't come to hurt you, he came to kill you. And, and he didn't come to kill you physically, but he came to kill your pride. He came to kill your rebellion. He came to kill your anger. He came to kill your criticism. He came to kill your offense. He came to kill all of that mess from the flesh in our lives. He came to kill these things because he knows that these things are killing us. How many of you like a good old Western movie? There are a few of us here. I know there are some here. And, and here's the thing. Have, any, have you ever seen one of those old cowboy movies where the bad guy just won't die? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he gets shot 26 times with a six shooter without reloading, by the way. And he gets shot 26 times and he still won't die. I mean, how many bullets can you take before you're going to fall down and die? The, the scene is just so long and, and you're just ready for him to die. You know what? I think that's somehow at times how God looks at some of us because he's like, goodness, you just won't die. You know, you're, you get, you crawl up on the altar and, but you won't die. You just keep crawling right back off. You keep moaning, you keep complaining, you keep griping. And God's up in heaven and all the angels are like, would you just hurry up and die? If you're going to be with the crucified Christ, you're going to have to crucify yourself. You're going to have to lay your life down on the cross and let him crucify you. And the quicker you can lay down and, and let Jesus, who is an expert at this, take you, crucify the old Dave. The quicker you can, you can let Jesus take the old you, then the quicker you'll have a resurrection into something new. That's the key. We lay down our lives. We die to ourselves because he is bringing new life to something brand new in us. And you'll have, you'll have the new mind that Christ wants you to have, but you have to die to the flesh. You have to do this. And here's the deal. We squirm. We don't like this. I, I don't want to let go. I, I don't want to do this. I don't like that person. I hate them. I'm never going to forgive. I'm holding on. And the angels are just, they're up in heaven and they're pulling their little feathers out. I don't know if they have hair, so I'll just say that. Uh, but I, I, I just don't know. But, but it, we have to die to ourselves. Here's number two. Jesus loved his, his disciples to the end. Now, this is important. 
Here is Jesus. In 24 hours, he's going to the cross. Less than 24 hours, he's going to the cross. And it says he loved his disciples to the end. Look at the, at, at the scripture, second part of verse 1. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. You know, the longer I live, the more I appreciate the quality of loyalty. Don't you appreciate people that are loyal to you? Amen, don't you? That they just stick with us? You know, we're nasty, we're bad, we're terrible, but he just st sticks with us. You know, the redeeming trait of, of a believer is not your doctrine, it's not your religion, it's not your singing, it's not your praise, but the redeeming trait of a believer is the ability to love one another through all kinds of situations. This is the key. You don't love them for just this period of time. The key is to love them to the end. How many remember the, the vows that you said on your, when, on your wedding day when you got married? You may remember those words? Till what? Till death do us part. Right. That's another way of saying, I'm going to love you to the end. Jesus knew the faults and the failures of his disciples, but he refused to run out on them and reject them. He didn't quit on people. You know, too many of us, and it's not the, the way of Christ, but too many of us quit on people. We, we give up on people. You, you, well, you don't know what they've done. You don't know how bad I've tried and they just keep stabbing me in the back. It doesn't matter what they've done. You don't give up on them. Once you start breaking relationships, guess what? It becomes a lot easier to keep on breaking relationships. It's a lot easier to keep writing people off. It's a lot easier to, to say, I don't think I'm ever going to get close to anybody. You have to understand that real Christianity with, with all of the ingredients says, I'm coming into a covenant relationship with you and I'm not going anywhere till the end. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep on loving you. I'm going to keep on praying for you. I'm going to keep on serving you. Even if you reject me, even if you hurt me, even if you spitefully use me, I'm not going to quit loving you, period, ever. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus because that's how he loved us. You know, what, what's amazing is that we run out on people so quickly. We judge people so quickly. Jesus didn't do that. He, he had a bunch of people, his disciples, think about it. They, they just did not catch much of anything that he preached. You, you know that? I mean, you ever thought about it? They didn't understand what Jesus was saying most of the time, but Jesus wasn't going to run out on them. He wasn't going to give up on, on them. He wasn't like, I've told you guys this over and over and over again, and still you don't get it. I've had it. I've, I'm done with you. I've done everything I know to do, but apparently you're too dense to get it. I'm done here. No, he wasn't going to quit on them. He loved them to the end. And I believe that too many of us have let go of relationships too early, and we have not fought for the relationship. And frankly, that's why you're, you're lonely right now. That's, that's why you've, you, you've put a wall up and you say, I don't want anybody to get close in, in me anymore. I'm not going to allow anybody into my life. But if you love Jesus, it means you will love to the end. Why? You love to the end because that's the way Jesus thinks of you. He, he's going to love you to the end. He's, he has said he's never going to leave you. 
He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. What is he saying? He's saying, Dave, I'm going to love you to the end. I'm going to love you even when you turn your back on me. I'm going to love you even when you're making horrible decisions. I'm still going to love you. I'm not going to give up on you. Here's number three. Get ready. Because once you do this, once you love to the end, get ready to be betrayed. So you, you, now you say, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to die. God, you take me. Now I'm going to love people to the end. But when you love people to the end, you're going to be betrayed. Look at the scripture, verse 2. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now hear me when I tell you, when you make a decision to love someone, you actually empower them to hurt you. Do you get that? When you decide to love someone, you empower them to hurt you. Uh, so so the, the, the reality is, the truth is, and I think you'll understand it when I illustrate it this way, the person in this world that can hurt me the most is the person I love the most. For me, that person is my wife, Julie, because she's my, my dearest love. And the person that can hurt, hurt her the most is me. The closer we are, the more we love, the, the, the more we can be, feel betrayed and be hurt by that person. And, and so in a sense, when you choose to love someone to the end, you have given them a weapon that they can use against you and hurt you. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, thank you, pastor, for making my point. That's why I don't love anybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for giving me a scripture because every time I love, I get betrayed. I don't want to give a knife to somebody that has the potential to use it to stab me in the back. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I do not want to get into another relationship. No, 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 no. That is not the mind of Christ. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, but he was still reaching out to him. Do you see that? It says in the very first part of the chapter, Jesus knew all these things, including he knew he, that Judas, Judas was, going to be, was going to betray him. And yet it goes through. And you don't read anywhere in that passage where he's serving and he's washing their feet, where he gets to Judas and says, oh, not you, buddy. Not you. He knew he was going to betray him, but he was still reaching out. Jesus was betrayed. But did he not go ahead and offer the bread to Judas at the last, last supper? That was a sign that was saying to Judas, I know what you're doing, but I forgive you. There's still a chance to turn around here. I might not be able to stop the crucifixion, but maybe I can stop you from being part of it. I'm trying to reach out to you. Judas betrayed Jesus, but didn't Jesus still wash Judas's feet? He did. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, yet he still chose to get down on his knees and kneel before Judas and perform an act of servitude that was usually reserved for the lowest servant in the household. Tell me, if, if someone betrays you to the extent that you're going to die, are you going to go ahead and reach out to them and serve them in the most menial and demeaning way? Jesus says, hey, do you have my mind? Here's the real question for us. You've been betrayed. How many of you, how many of you in this church have been betrayed by somebody in your life? Let me see your hand. Yeah, okay, everybody, everybody. So there is no one here 
that has not been hurt by someone. The question for us is not whether or not you're going to be betrayed. That's a given. That's part of life. The question for us is this. Can you still love after you've been betrayed? That's the hard question. Can you still love people after you've been stabbed in the back or are you still using it as an excuse to not love? Are you using it as an excuse to not do what you need to do and be what you need to be in Christ? People hurt me. The church hurt me. The pastor hurt me. That man hurt me. That, that, that job hurt me. That employer hurt me. I don't want to be hurt anymore. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're going to live a very, very lonely life if you don't learn to love people. Because there are, I'm here, I want you to know there are a lot of people that want to love you and they want to care for you. And not everybody is going to be mean to you. Amen? Amen. So we need to learn now to love again, to, to take those walls down and love people to the end. It, it, it takes a right spirit to refuse to take revenge when you have the power to do so. Jesus had the power to inflict revenge on those who crucified him. Think about it. You know, I mean, most of you know the old song. He could have called 10,000 angels. And and even Jesus said that, don't you know that I could do this? I could call a legion of angels. Think about it. Here are the Pharisees and they're accusing him. They're spitting in his face. They're ripping his beard out of his face. He didn't say a word to them. How many of you know that he had the power to stop it at any time? He had the power to stop it anytime he wanted to. He spoke the world. If he spoke the world into existence, if he created us, then doesn't it just follow that he has the power to take us out if he wants to? When they nailed his hands to the cross, he had the power to do something about it if he chose to. You know, he he would have been like, let's see, a lightning bolt right here. Pow! Take that, sucker. Or this one here, stop his heart. Heart attack. Thank you very much. He could have have done that. He had the power to do that, didn't he? He could have done that. And listen, you may have the power to strike back at the person that betrayed you. But the Bible says, and we talked a lot more about this last week, the Bible says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. You know, that's a scary thought when you think of it this way. When I begin to take vengeance myself, I'm meddling in the things that God says are his. That's kind of a scary place to be. Let God take care of the payback. Let him deal with it. It's not up to you. One of the marks of servanthood is to allow the payback to come from God. It doesn't come from you. So you need to sit back, learn how to just relax a little bit. You don't need to be upset and worry about this. You can leave it in the hands of God. And when those, when the thoughts start coming back and the enemy says, look what they did, look what they did. Instead of picking up that offense and sticking your hand in the trap, you say, no, 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 this is God's. This, this is his, he's going to deal with this. Now, let me ask you another question. Is there anybody here that has matured to the place where you do not irritate anybody ever? Uh, anybody here? Let me. Okay, all right. The, the, don't use the raise your hand right now. You're irritating me, so put it back down. <laughs> um, we're, we're not there, right? We're going to irritate, and we're going to walk in the flesh sometimes. Every person walking on this planet w- will live through that. Some of you are really, 
Some of you are irritating somebody right now. I can, I can see the, what's happening in the congregation. But, but so, so, Pastor, what do I do when that happens and I get hurt? How do I deal with it? Well, here's what you do. You go to Sam's Club, buy a pallet of tissues, and you go sit in your room and cry it out and get over it. You take it to the Lord, leave it with Him, and you move on. And you start loving people again because that is the mind of Christ. Here's the next part. To have His mind. In order to serve, you have to know who you are. You know, most people don't know who they are. The Bible says in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He never complained. He knew who he was. He knew what his purpose was. And so he didn't complain about it. He just carried it out and he lived his life. He did what he was here to do. And if you don't know who you are, guess who's going to tell you? The devil will try to tell you who you are. He'll try to tell you and explain to you what you are and who you are and what you can't do and and why you can't do it and all these things he's going to tell you all these things but you know what you don't have to prove yourself to anybody and when you're trying to prove yourself to somebody and then you're not what you're trying to prove you end up living a lie and you because and you don't know who you are you don't have to worry about who you are when you know what God has put inside of you and you know who God says you are. Let, let me give an example of what happens when you don't know who you are in the church. We're just using it in the church context. And you can make application all kinds of other places. But here in, the, in, a, in a church setting, you, you come up here and you start singing. You're on the platform. Finally, you're singing. You finally made it up here. You've been singing in the congregation for years, but now Maribeth has pulled you up on the platform and now you're an upfront singer. And the worship team is getting ready to do a new song that you know. You, you have been singing it since you were 14 years old. You were singing it as a kid. You have every word down. You have every note down. And all of a sudden, during worship practice, Maribeth says, I think I want this person over here to sing this song. And, and you're looking at Maribeth and you're saying, you know, that's my song. No, 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 that's my song. You can't give away my song. God has anointed me. I remember he woke me up one night and I played that song and I just floated across the room. I saw Jesus at the foot of my bed. He came, he did, he came. And Jesus even told me that he wanted me to sing that song in front of the church one day. He told me that and so I'm just telling you, it's up to you, but I'm just telling you what Jesus said. She says, I'm sorry, but I just, you're you're not going to sing it. Now watch. If your identity of what you think you are is just to be a singer and now you don't get to do what you think you should do, you leave the church. Do do you think you're just a singer? Is that who you are? I want to sing. And if you don't let me sing, I'm gone. Is that all your life is made up of? Or... I'm an usher and the Lord called me to be a once a week usher and and Gerald asked me to do it once a month. I'm not a once a month usher. I'm called to be a once a week usher. He now he says do it once a month. Well, I'm not going to this church because I'm not used to being, uh, not being used at all. And, 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 and I'm a once a week usher. So you leave the church because you think your identity is based on what you do instead of who God says you are. We get identities confused in the Western world so much. Like, for example, in the Western world, they've done surveys to show this. You go up to a man and you say, who are you? 
And they start answering with, with answers like, well, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm a, I'm a you know, welder. I'm a retired. I'm, all these things. And we tend to answer by what we do. But if you go into many other cultures, in Africa, for example, and you say, who are you? You know what their answers are? I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. You see, we so often base our identity on what we do and what we think we're supposed to do when the truth is you don't need to worry about what you do because who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're like Jesus, who you are is you're a servant. You say, well, I'm a child of God. Yes, you are. That's absolutely true. But it does not take away from the fact that if we're going to be like Jesus, we are going to be servants. We get caught up in all the privileges and we forget the responsibilities. You're a servant. And if, a, if you're a servant, that means you will do whatever needs to be done to fulfill your master's wishes. Not just what you want, but what needs to be done. I'm actually going to come back to that a little bit, but I, I, I need to move on. Here's the next one. Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced. All right, Jesus uh, uh, was telling us to have his mind. You have to be willing to be inconvenienced. Look at the scripture, verse 4. It says, so he got up from the table. He got up from the table. You know what that means? Uh, how, how many of you, when you sit down after a hard day, uh, day's work, and you sit down at the table, and you finally get to eat, who wants to get up in the middle of a meal and let your meal get cold and go do something for somebody else? Nobody wants to. That's an inconvenience to us. But Jesus got up from the table and started serving right in the middle of the meal. The Passover meal wasn't done yet. Here's what you have to understand. As a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you are going to be inconvenienced. And don't get sideways about it. You're going to be inconvenienced, you know? I mean, it might be something silly, like you're in the parking lot and, 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 and you've been a member for 30 years and you're pulling in and there's a spot that's really close to the church and you park there all the time. And there's another car that, that comes in and you're polite. You turn your blinker on and it's blinking and saying, that's my place, that's my place. I park there all the time. You must be new to challenge me, you know? And so they turn into your parking place and that's really close and now you have to park way over over there by the gym well no way I tell you what if I have to walk that far to church I'm not coming you're going to be inconvenienced how many of you would be upset if somebody came and said asked you to move from your seat and sit someplace else <clears throat> I got here early so I could get the back row <laughs> I got here early to get this back seat so I could sneak out early without anybody seeing <clears throat> What I'm saying to you is this, you in your life, if you're following Jesus and you're going to serve the people around you, you are going to be inconvenienced. Be ready for it. Now, I remember we had a dear friend, a precious lady. Her name was Faye in Georgetown. And one day she was in a horrible car accident and 
had some brain injuries and her brain was swelling and she was in intensive care for a few days. And I remember uh, it was about an hour drive to get to the hospital there in Charleston where she was. And I remember going over there and spending time with the family, long hours over there with the family. And, uh, and then one, one day she called me, it was probably about nine o'clock at night. How many of you know nine o'clock at night is not when you want to get a call? You're, you're winding down, you're thinking about going to bed, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm ready to, to just kind of kick back for another hour or two and then just go to bed and chill and have a good night's sleep. And she called and, and she said, the doctors are saying it's not looking good, she could go any time. Well, listen, I want to be honest with you. My, my flesh was tired. My flesh said, why don't you just call them? And maybe that'll be enough. Try to get out of this. That's what the flesh says. But, but you know, when you have the mind of Christ, your heart can tell you something different. Because the truth was, I had a dear friend that was, that was about to pass into eternity. She loved the Lord. I wasn't worried about where she was going. But her family was hurting. And her, her only daughter was sitting in that, in that uh, ICU room with her. Listen, it doesn't matter what time it is. And inconvenience is not something at that point in time that I'm even considering. There's a need, and I don't care what time it is. I don't care how I feel. There's somebody at that moment that's hurting more than me. And I need to go meet that need and be inconvenienced. You see what I'm saying? I ended up staying with them till 3 o'clock in the morning. She, I was there when she took her last breath. And you know what? Her daughter and her boyfriend at the time gave their lives to Jesus as a result of her mom's life, as a result of somebody loving her mom that way and loving them that way. I still have a precious place in my heart for that family. So understand that in our lives, the essence of loving like Jesus means that you will be inconvenienced by other people. They are going to call you at times when you think you can't talk. I'm here to tell you, it's like a law of nature. If somebody calls you with a need, it's probably going to be at what seems to be the most inconvenient moment for you possible. You already know this. So don't get upset. I need to move on. Let me give you another point. Here it is. Jesus was willing to look like less than who he was. Can you do that? Can you move from where you are as say the owner of some business and then start picking up paper outside or maybe even cleaning a toilet. If you see something in the bathroom on the floor that needs to be cleaned up, can you go ahead and clean it up? Or do you say that's not my job? Can you lower yourself from where you are and become all things to all people and do whatever needs to be done rather than saying that it's below you? Are, are there things that you're unwilling to do because you feel that it's beneath you to do such thing. All I can say is, thank God, Jesus didn't think, think like that. The Bible says in verse 4, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. What that means is, he, he took the lowest form of a servant. He, 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 got, he got ready to wash the feet of the disciples 
which was the job that was reserved for the, the lowest servant of the household, the lowest person on the totem pole. He took on the mantle of a servant. He took the towel of a servant. He washed the disciples' feet. He dried their, their feet, their dirty, stinking feet. Here's Jesus. He, he is, here's the one who is, that is sitting on the throne of heaven with a crown today. And here he is washing feet, which was the most demeaning of tasks performed by the lowest of the servants. These are nasty, dirty feet that have been walking on dusty, dirty roads, and he's cleaning the feet of his disciples. This is what Jesus did. This is what our master did. And he said, the servant is certainly not greater than the master. Jesus is saying to us, there is no job that is so beneath you that you cannot lay aside your pride and do it. You need to step down. You have to go down in order to go up in the kingdom. You have to go down. See, we're in America, and in America, we're a proud people. You know, I, I don't know if I want to do something like that. You know, you know what I found here in America? In America, we think we have to have something in order to be something. I have to have something in order to be something. I have to have a car. I have to have a better car. I have to have a house. I have to have a bigger house than you. I have to have nice clothing. I have to have money. I have to have stuff. And your life becomes all about your image. No, 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 no. Forget your image and do whatever the people around you need you to do in order for them to see Jesus. Be, be whatever kind of servant people need, uh, need you to be in order to reach them for Jesus. Let's, let's, as a church, listen, let's not just run in one lane and expect people to conform to our ministry in order to reach them. Let's change in whatever ways we need to change in our methods to meet the needs of people, no matter what that need is. Let's fill that need any way we can. And I'm here to tell you now, when you begin talking about serving in the church, I want you to know God is going to test your attitude on the back row ministry before he'll ever move you to the front row ministry. He's going he's gonna to show you where you really are and what's really going on in your heart. He, he, he doesn't test your attitude uh, to, because he needs to know what's there. He already knows. This is what we got to understand. When God asks questions, when God tests you, he's not testing you because he's saying, hmm, I wonder what they'll do. He already knows. He already knows what's in our heart. He tests us so that we will be able to see what's there. Because our hearts are deceitful. Jeremiah 79, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Your heart and your emotions will lie to you. And, 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 and in order to, to uh, be, be <laughs> let me, your heart and your emotions will lie to you and you will believe it. You know why? Because you want to believe it. God will test your attitude toward being a servant in order to show you where your heart really is, to show you if there's pride hidden there. Because listen, pride is so insidious. Pride, I believe, is the most difficult sin to see in ourselves. Why is that? Well, it's because pride, by its nature, tells me I'm good. Pride tells me I'm okay. I got it going on. So it's really hard for me 
to be able to be honest with myself and see that. And so God puts us in positions where he says, will you serve? Here's an opportunity for you to do something, for you to lower yourself, for you to serve someone else. And if we, if we hesitate at that, that is God showing us there's pride there that I need to deal with. God will test your attitude toward being a servant so you can see where your heart really is. You know, I sometimes have people come to me as the pastor of the church and, and they tell me who they are and why I should have them there. I'm telling you, true, true stories here. I'm going to tell you some of them. Uh, I'm not going to use the real names. But, you know, somebody comes and says, ah, yeah, Hello, I, it's nice to be here today. I'm Prophet Jones. Well, good to meet you, Prophet Jones. How are you doing? And I don't know who gave him the title prophet. Most of the time, they just take it on themselves, frankly. Well, I have a, I have a word for your church. I'm not making this up. This, this actually happened. This, this particular event didn't happen here. But I have a word for your church. And, and I need to share it with the word with the people today. Okay, well, listen. I understand that God has given, given you a word, and, and, uh, uh, but how, here, here's the deal. Why don't you find a place to sit, and I'll talk to you about it a little bit later. You don't understand. God has is, God is given me a word for the church to bring revival right now. Well, that's good. That's great. You, why don't you just sit right there, and then we'll talk about it after service. And then the response, well, I cannot believe that you're treating me this way. You don't even, didn't even recognize me as a prophet when I came into this place, and, I, when, and you have disrespected me. I have this word, and you should let me speak to your people. No, 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 no. Listen, I'm responsible for what is said to these people and you're going to have to prove yourself faithful before I ever let you stand here. The highest title you can have in your life is the title that Jesus had. He was a servant. He's the son of God. He was the greatest servant this world has ever seen. And he humbled himself, became a servant. I've had people, another, this is also in a previous church. A guy came up to me at church and said, Pastor, I, I want to lead worship. I want to be your worship leader. He was new to the church. I want to be on the platform. And he, and he literally told me, I can do this better than anybody you got up there on the platform. Well, already right now, I was like, you're not getting anywhere near that place, buddy. And I said, okay, well, why don't you sit, sit there and, and just come and worship and for a few months and just be faithful, show your faithfulness and show your your worshipful heart, and, and we can re revisit that later if this is what God has planned for us. And, and, and he's, like, he's like, no, 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 I, you, you don't understand. I didn't come just to sit around. I, I came to be on the platform to sing. I'm sorry, well, you're just gonna have to sit back for a while. Well, if I can't do that, then I'm out of here. And he was gone. See, if you can't become a servant and say, I'm gonna do whatever the church needs me to do, then you are not ready to get on the platform for ministry. Because honestly, the platform is one of the easiest places in the world to backslide because it's the easiest. You feel the most pressure when you're in front of people to play the game and to wear the mask. And it's the easiest place in the world to lose it all because you're playing the part. And if you're not ready for it, frankly, it could destroy you with pride and it could wreak havoc in the church. You understand what a servant is? I, I mentioned this earlier. A servant is someone that will do things that they don't want to do. A 
Servant isn't someone that just does the things that they want to do, that they like to do. I think that's wonderful when you get involved in a ministry where it's your area of gifting and you enjoy that. And I think that should be your primary area of ministry. But I also believe that every believer's secondary area of ministry is any place where there's a need. You know what? We need more people have the ministry of putty. You know what the ministry of putty is? You fill in the cracks wherever they are. The servant is someone who will do what needs to be done even if they don't want to do it. If you say, I'll do this, but I won't do that, then you're not a servant. See, a servant would, will, will do whatever needs to be done. And if you're a servant of Christ, then you don't get to say no when he points out something that need, needs to be done. A servant will do whatever. Are, are, are you there? See, this is the mind of Christ. Let me do the last one. I need to hurry. After the talk, there's the doing. After the talk, after you hear it all, after you hear this message, then all that's left is to do it. Let me show you what the scripture says, and then we'll close. Going down to beginning in verse 4, John 13. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, he, here's Peter, good old foot-shaped mouth Peter. And he, when, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you, someday you will. No, Peter protested. That's always funny to me. Because he just called him Lord. And now he says, no, no. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash, unless I serve you, you won't belong to me. Unless I serve you. Unless you learn to serve someone from, from Jesus' example, you don't belong to him. One of the traits of being a disciple of Jesus is being a servant. And if you're not, then you don't belong to him. I'm going to read another passage of scripture here, beginning in verse 14. Same, same chapter, John 13. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, since I have served you, you ought to wash each other's feet. You ought to serve each other. I have given you an example to follow. Do as, I've, as I have done to you. And listen, I want to say this. You know, we, we, uh, today, you know, people will have these foot washing services and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but listen, if that's all this means to you, then you're not getting the point of it. Because you can wash somebody's foot in a foot washing service and still miss the point that the, what Jesus was trying to say is you should be willing to do the worst thing imaginable to serve people around you. So you can wash somebody's feet and have this great emotional moment and then walk out and be unwilling to do something that you feel is beneath you. I think if, if we lived in today's, if Jesus was li living in today's culture, it might be something more along the lines of Jesus uh, you know, cleaning the toilets instead or Jesus going out and, and, uh, and, 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 and serving you know, the, the homeless and, and, and picking lice out of their hair or something. Whatever it is. He said, we're going we're gonna to serve him. Then there's one more, verse 17. He says, now that you know these things, 
God will bless you for, everybody say it with me out loud, God will bless you for doing them. Say it again, for what? Doing them. God will bless you for being the servant that He's called you to be, for mirroring His heart to serve the people around you. Listen, you know, when when we stand up here and we say something like, well, we have this outreach or this event coming and we need your help, we, we should be able to, and listen, we do, we have a great response here, so I'm not getting down on you, but I, this is what I believe it should be the standard. We should be able to stand up later after we make that announcement and say, people, please, please stop volunteering for this event. We have way too many people serving. We just can't, there's nothing else. Please stop volunteering. That's what it ought to be like. In our church, we should never have to beg for people to step up and fill a need. And we rarely do. That's, that's one good thing in this church. Why? Not, it's not because I say so, but because of what I'm reading the, the Bible says. Not because I think so, but because to be a follower of Jesus means that you are a servant that is willing to do whatever is needed to, fil- to fulfill the mission of your master. That's what it means to be a servant. You and I need to understand that this Christianity light that says, hey, I just want to come. I just want to eat. I don't want to pay anything. I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything. That is not the Christianity for which which Jesus went to a cross. He went to a cross for Christianity where where you'd be willing to do the same things that he did as he laid down his life for, for, for people. He died on a cross, not just to save you, but to make you a servant that would serve people in His name in order to enlarge the family of God. Everybody stand together with me. And I know there are people that want to get out of here because you don't want to be inconvenienced. See, it's already starting. But let me give you one more statement and then we're going to pray. This was related to that last thing that after the hearing, there's the doing. It is this statement. What you do will always be louder than what you say. What you do will always be louder than what you say. You're in the hospital. You know, I could write a note to you and, and, and you'd probably get that note or even a phone call and you'd say, that was great, I sure appreciated that. Or I can come to the hospital room and I can pray for you. And what I did is going to be even greater than what I said. You see what I'm saying? And, it's, and both are good. Both are. There's nothing wrong with either one of them. We need to say good things, but doing those things moves us to a whole new level. It's the same with God. God, God is looking at us and He's saying, don't say you love me. Don't, don't say you serve me. Don't say you follow me when you're not doing anything. And I'm not talking about just service in the church. I'm talking about serving people. Yes, it includes serving in the church and ministries. There's so many things that we want to do. We, we want to have uh, hospitality teams and prayer teams and altar teams and, 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 and administrative teams. We, we want to have so many things. We want to, we, there's so many areas that you can get involved in. But listen, it's not just about what you can do in the church building and in this church body. It's about serving people around you, especially those who spitefully use you. Anybody here have anybody in your life, maybe it's a coworker, that just is a spur under your saddle? 
You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, let me count the spurts. Listen, here's the hard part for our flesh to swallow. Jesus put you there to serve them. He put you there to serve them. And when you serve them, they may not receive it at first, and they may never acknowledge it. But you know what matters? The one to whom we will answer is seeing it and taking note of it. So in the end, when I serve those that consider themselves my enemy, when I serve those that hurt me, when I serve those that, that are just that irritating source, then not only do I have the opportunity to show them the love of Jesus, but I know that my Savior is watching and He's pleased with that. Listen, you know, it would be unbelievable for a church to move to a place where, you know, everyone tithes, everyone serves in a place, everyone just says, hey, what do you need? Let me find whatever you need. I'll do it. doesn't matter what it is. Wouldn't that be an incredible church? And listen, we have... I feel like this church is closer to that than probably any other church that I've ever ever pastored before. But, but I can't imagine what a church like that could accomplish. I can't even imagine what kind of ministries a church like that could have. I can't imagine what kind of impact a church like that could have on its community. When we come together, no matter what kind of background we have, no matter where we are financially, no matter what color we are, no matter who we are or what we've done, then it's those, that moment that God can really use us to do something that we could never even imagine. God can use us when we realize that we have to go down in order to go up. God can use us when we realize that we have to go down and serve anyone and everyone. And here's what we have to know. This is a choice we have to make. It's not something that happens to us. It's a choice we have to make. Jesus chose on that day to wash his disciples' feet. And you're going to have to choose this. But let me tell you this. Not that I have, I have so far to go in this. Don't, don't, don't think that I'm putting myself up there as an example. But I'm just telling you this. It is the greatest way to live. It really is. It's the greatest choice you could ever make. Would you just bow your head? Close your eyes. Listen, there are some of us that have been in church for a long, long time, but you've never gotten really serious. You, you feel better when you come to church because the Spirit of God is strong in this place and it makes you feel better, but then you end up going right back to where you were before and back to the same place that you were before and you've begun to wonder if, if this thing really works. And the, the issue is that you haven't changed. You haven't allowed God to take it all and, and you haven't allowed surrender to Him to, to the point where where you're ready to, to serve anybody and maybe these other areas, whatever. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. And all over the building, if you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, would you just lift your hand right now? Yes, I see it. Yeah, several hands all over the place. The other question for us today is how many of you today would say that the Lord has really spoken to you and you'd, you'd say that He's saying to you, you can do a lot more than what you've been doing. And he's saying, I want you to 
step up in your serving, not just in the church, but I want you to become a servant at heart. If you hear God speaking that to you, would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you today? Yes, all over the place, all over the place. All right, I'm going to pray for you all in just a moment, but I want you to hear this. You've said it. In response to what I've asked you, you've said it. But now what are you going to do? We have a lot of things in this church, a lot of ways you can serve. We need your help in this church. We need youth workers and children's workers. We need Wednesday youth workers and kids workers. We need, we need helpers for the Wednesday meal. We need, we need so many things. We need your help to reach this city. So here's what I want you to do, especially if you raise your hand. I want you right now, would you just put your right hand over your heart and just raise your other hand, your left hand toward heaven. And I want you to, to just pray this prayer with me. Would you do that? Just repeat, everybody repeat this prayer. Heavenly Father, here I am. I'm here to serve. This is not about me. I'm ready to surrender everything. I give you all of me. I want to serve, even if it means I don't get any recognition. Even if it means I have to do the worst jobs. I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to serve. So God, change my heart. Forgive me of my pride. Break that pride in me. Show me where it exists and set me free. In Jesus' name, here I am. Use me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you, if you meant the words of that prayer, it, it's great that you have said it. Now it's time to pay attention. God will show you. I'm going to be praying this week that God will show you opportunities to serve. Maybe in small ways. Maybe in greater ways. And that all week long, you'll, you'll have that opportunity. And when the opportunity comes, take advantage of that divine moment. Do it. Serve in the name of Jesus. Get that cup of cold water and give it to them and say, this is because Jesus loves you. Serve them so they can see Jesus in you. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your head? I want to pray for you before we're dismissed and just ask God to, to bless us. Father, I do thank you for your word and I thank you, Jesus, for your example. And Lord, it is so challenging for us because we are so naturally self-centered. We are not Christ-centered naturally and we are not other-centered naturally. But God, you've called us to put you at the center of our lives and to serve you. And, and one of the ways we serve you is by serving the people around us so that they can see you, they can know you. And God, I'm asking right now at this very moment that you would give us divine opportunities, divine appointments all week long. Even today, Lord God, where we come in contact with someone we have and we see, show us those opportunities to serve. Help us to see them. And God, I pray that then we would respond in a way 
that honors your name so that other people will see Jesus in us. And God, we don't know how it will affect other people. We know you'll deal with them, but we don't know if they'll receive it, if they'll change. But God, in that process, I know you're going to change us. So have your way. Let us walk in your favor. Let us walk in your anointing. Let us be the servants of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.